Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena Delval, and my guest is producer and director Mabel Valdivieso. Today we will discuss making films for Latinos and her films Carlos Barone and Soledad is Gone Forever. Mabel is the founder of Haiku Films, a production company based in San Francisco, California. She is the writer, director, and producer of the short films The Waters Muse and Strange Machines Music Boxes that screened at the International Latino Film Festival and at the Young Museum in San Francisco. Her short film, Soledad is Gone Forever, screened at the Short Film Corner at Cannes International Film Festival in May of 2007 and was part of the Sundance Producers Conference in 2007. It was also nominated for the Emerging Filmmakers Award at the International Latino Film Festival. Mabel is developing the feature-length version of Soledad is Gone Forever and Parallel Lies. She was nominated for a Sundance NHK International Filmmaker Award. Mabel, who was born in Lima, Peru, is with us for the second time. Mabel, welcome back. Thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity and for sharing uh, this journey with the audience. It's very exciting to hear about all of these projects that you have embarked on and watching your success, even if it is from afar. Tell us a little bit, if you would, Mabel, about your projects. Um, I know lately you've been working with Carlos Barone, and of course, the last time we spoke extensively about um, what was at the time, the short film Soledad is Gone Forever. Yeah, the, well, it's an amazing uh, collaboration. Um, he's uh, a great uh, man and really uh, creative in so many levels. And no, uh, he is, is based in the Bay Area in San Francisco, but he actually came here in the 70s, uh, actually also after his country was um, had this uh, military coup d'etat, and while he he came to the U.S. actually um, to study acting in Berkeley uh, Conservatory Repertory Theater, he uh, found himself being an activist and um, a multicultural uh, artist who um, really has done a lot of work in the community in the Bay Area. Yet, uh, and he's very known at that level. Yet, he never quite has been uh, profile or, you know, by mainstream media. And so we, I knew about his work before, and I, and, and I felt like um, he was someone who uh, is very inspiring and even uh, can, uh, a great listener, and, and he had all, all these aspects that were so wonderful. And so um, when I made the short, I, I wanted to connect with him uh, for so many reasons and also because he had gone through that and he also is a writer as well and uh, he, he gave me suggestions about the script, uh, the short script and we brainstormed about certain things in the film and he came on board as an actor and and, and, and up to today I, I feel like um, it's one of the strongest performances I have in, in my short and it's so natural and so uh, the acting, the performance is amazing. So um, he, uh, he, I knew that he's been doing uh, plays for a while and actually uh, multi-discipline um, uh, plays. And so um, at this time, I've been having an opportunity to. Um, a story to this uh, magazine show um, Spark that airs in KQD, it's a PBS public station here in San Francisco, and so they were interested in, uh, you know, uh, me going there and, and telling some stories. So some 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 potential artists for for this magazine show that profiles art uh, artists in the Bay Area. So. Um, he, uh, I talked to them about Carlos and a play that he was doing at the time. This is uh, back in December, and um, they they liked 
delighted, and they asked me for more questions. We have a meeting with him and the series producers uh, uh, from Spark, and then it basically went on, and it's been an amazing, really wonderful journey to to see that uh, piece come to life. What is Carlos Barone? That's the name of the piece. What is it about? How long is it? And, And... what will the viewers see when they watch it? Carlos Barón, a poeta fan, the piece is a multidisciplinary um, performance and uh, play that uh, has different uh, has music, uh, acting, uh, has um, uh, several uh, other disciplines uh, in in the piece. So that uh, it highlights his own life as a, as an artist and his um, experience that he had as a child and as a young man growing up in Chile, and then uh, what was the impact of uh, that poet Pablo Neruda in his own uh, life when he met him as a as a child in Chile. So a lot of that has to do with how po- uh, the poet Pablo Neruda influenced his own work with uh, words, words uh, being all this um, Im- amazing, really uh, uh, poetic words that I- inspire Carlos to uh, think about this and really play, put this poetry in a, in a visual way in his own play and also include his own personal uh, experiences with the poet, meeting the poet when he was a boy then, and also um, uh, all of these uh, in the background of the military era. So there are moments where are really fantastic and really personal and intimate um, of him uh, meeting him for the first time, and there are other times where are really tense when he is in encountering that uh, September 11 in, in Chile, for instance, and, and he's referring to uh, the poet himself going through that experience and also his own experience as Carlos Barón. So you're looking at Carlos Barón in terms of his the impact of all of these experiences in his life and the way that he's translated that poetry into his works as a playwright did i understand that yeah that's right that's right how long is the film the piece is uh 14 minutes and who would you say is the ideal audience, who do you think would appreciate the film the most? Well, um, there is um, there is two uh, distinctive audiences, I think, for this piece. Um, what's interesting is that, uh, first of all, um, it, this goes to a local TV station here in San Francisco. I basically pitched this story to... Uh, you know the local TV station, and they they wanted to have it here because I think that they are also uh, opening up to the diversity, and they want to see other slices of life that uh, may may have not been there earlier on, uh, earlier or before. Um, for instance, uh, I think that having Latino stories in uh, local uh, station that is part of the TV system, I think it's wonderful because it exposes um, these artists to people who haven't have a chance to see um, a Latino artist at work. Um, that's one, so this could be, it's going to uh, the a usual, I would say, audience um, that a, a Spark will have, which is I think typically, you know, people interested in the arts and it could be Latino and or Latino that have an interest in the arts and, and they watch this uh, program. Now, however, uh, interesting enough is that because it's also uh, about 
this particular artist who's done so much work in the Bay Area, he also is known in many uh, disciplines here. Just that by the fact that he's a playwright, he's a director, uh, um, a theater director, also a teacher and activist, and founder of many Latino organizations in the Bay Area, he uh, has this other audience that is more uh, specifically Latino and also uh, really multicultural. His work, and part of the piece too um, that I didn't mention is that he is really someone who uh, I would consider a, a multicultural evangelist. Uh, I'm saying this because um, he has a lot of uh, his intention and, and his work is to create uh, works of art uh, through theater and spoken word where this, this goes beyond uh, ethnicity and uh, it embraces all ethnicities. He's really interested in doing work that is truly multicultural. And at the, uh, not only, he says, uh, I'm trying to quote him now, not only at the skin level, but also at that a form how you present this work to an audience when you want to be inclusive and not exclusive. And of course, in a city like San Francisco that has a tradition of supporting the arts and that has such a diverse community because I'm looking at the statistics for the San Francisco area and I'm seeing that the non-Hispanic white population represents about 46% of... How much was it, was the percent again? About 46% of the population in San Francisco is non-Hispanic white. Mm -hmm. About 23% is Asian. About 7% is African American black. Mm -hmm. And 22% of the population in the San Francisco area, or 1.4 million, is Hispanic. So this combination of looking to reach diverse audiences and the fact that he himself is very active in Hispanic communities sounds like it's a fit for your area. It, it definitely is. It definitely is, and I think that he is someone who... Um, is he, he always expresses that multiculturalism is something that we take for granted, but it really is, is, is something that really we should look at as um, a work in progress. And I, I can agree with that because, uh, you know, when we talk about multiculturalism, um, we think, okay, it's a given, it's, 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 it happens, it's not a problem, but um, I mean, there are all these frictions, you know, cultural frictions. Um, that we have in society and even a city like San Francisco. And, and Carlos is someone who is, is trying to connect all these dots. You know, and, and this particular piece with through shadow theater, uh, using shadow theater and dance and music and, and, and acting as a way to um, uh, to connect this, you know, even though it's more Chilean specific in, in some way, but also expresses an experience that it's a very big area experience. like. Uh, uh, also because he's an exile and, and you know an activist and there's so many people here who can relate to that even though they're not specifically Latino um, so that's that and, and he and, and this is one piece he's done but other pieces he's done before and after he really you know uh, he works with students at a university where he teaches and, and does food productions there through um, is a, a theater that he founded called Teatro Arcoiris, Rainbow Theater. And Rainbow Theater, the name of Rainbow, you know, encompasses all those colors. And so um, he'll work with African-Americans, Asian, and all these, um, you know, people from so many countries and, and backgrounds uh, to um, a, even um, reformat, a, a restructure um, pieces where, like, say, the lead actor uh, would be, say, typically um, a, um, a a woman from the south of uh, America, uh, from the south, for instance, in, in the U.S., he will uh, 
revert that and maybe have an African-American be the, main, the, the lead role, you know, someone from, uh, you could say, maybe uh, uh, Cuba, for instance, you know. Um, so it's, it's an interesting way that he, uh, the, the way he does it, and he does it on purpose because he says multiculturalism has to happen with intent. You have to intend to make multi, uh, the, uh, for multiculturalism to be, you know, have, have um, a, a presence. In terms of the film itself, Mabel, has it already been shown to the public? And um, if so, how can our listeners have an opportunity to watch it? Yes, um, the film had its first run in... Um, uh, it has its first run in uh, to, uh, to the public uh, on TV, because this was a piece that I made, I produced for this TV, for this uh, magazine show, and it will be shown again. Um, it's, it's, it's coming a second round now, and also while it, it is obviously a local TV station here, it's also accessible through the web, and I think that I should um, have this link sent to you to, to the piece and and the TV. Uh, website so that our listeners who are not in the San Francisco area will have an opportunity to watch it if they have access to the internet absolutely yeah you can see the whole piece in the internet and you can see other pieces that uh, the show Spar has about all these diverse artists too on in, in the same uh, basically in, in the website as well excellent what if any feedback, Mabel, have you received from Latinos who have watched the film or who know about the project? Yeah, um, I've been actually hearing some really uh, very positive feedback about Carlos Boron. What's interesting was that, you know, in the process, because um, in a way, uh, making this piece, uh, well, it was um, really a third experience for me um, making uh, a work on commission at this particular level with a, uh, you know, magazine show uh, where uh, there's a series producer and you ha you need to follow not only the protocol but the guidelines of what works for that particular show. So that was a learning experience we can talk about maybe. But uh, to answer your question, um, uh, the piece, because... Um, the piece happened in San Francisco and actually in Chile because he went with his troupe, with this troupe of like 17 performers, including live musicians who were playing jazz and, and uh, salsa and uh, reggaeton and hip-hop uh, live and with the dancers, performers. Um, it's a really... Uh, High energy, fast paced uh, road trip in a way, um, where you know it starts in San Francisco with them preparing to go to, to Chile, and just as uh, they are preparing to go to Chile, actually the first day of production I have with them, I clearly remember this day. It was December 10 uh, last year, and I went to. San Francisco State headquarters where they were uh, doing their performance uh, or actually rehearsal and some of the people were sick and uh, uh, you know Carlos was a little bit um, stressed out about you know missing some of them because um, they were close to do uh, one presentation here before they took off to Chile uh, so I go there and he he was really stressed out and then uh, I found out it was also because that day, Augusto um, Pinochet, the former dictator of Chile, has died uh, that same day. And so he was uh, somewhat concerned about his, the people, that, I mean the performers, because they were, uh, they were uh, afraid. Some of them, they were afraid that they will not be well received in Chile, like at the time, that week, uh, or the death of Pinochet, it was really... Uh, a lot of riots and uh, tense uh, encounters between uh, activists and people from other 
um, parts of the political spectrum uh, were having these encounters, and the police have to intervene. So um, it really, you know, it wasn't intended, but it really brought this other momentum to the piece. Uh, that that's what sometimes makes a good documentary. You just don't know where you're going to, and then you know things happen that you have to let go and say, "Oh, this is how I wanted to go." You have to embrace it. So uh, we went along with it, and so we see this, and then when they go to Chile, they have this amazing experience in, in going through these different cities of Chile. They actually travel to the south. They went to Santiago de Chile. Uh, the main cities, and then went to the south to show the piece, not in uh, traditional theaters, but in non-traditional venues. I'm talking about parks, uh, you know, outdoors, uh, gyms, uh, gyms where or, or places where they play soccer, for instance. That's where they will be showing their piece, and it's not a very minimalistic piece. It, it has a lot of uh, props and has all these shadow theaters that has to work in the setting too. So they they improvise it a lot as well. But uh, I think because it shows this kind of um, it shows that they are. I mean, the piece is really good, and also the fact that uh, uh, people from that this real uh, people from real life in Chile were being in you know. And, and, and show we show the reactions of them, uh, you know how they react to the piece. The piece that uh, actually all the actors, most of them don't speak Spanish, and they the piece actually they purposely made it in Spanish, but the, the actors' uh, native tongue was not in Spanish. So they actually some of them actually just learn Spanish just to uh, be able to really. Um, you know, uh, participate in the piece, and uh, Carlos wanted that. He could have done some, something else on a high other performance, but he wanted that as part of his multicultural approach. So I think that uh, all of these elements um, have got a, a very interesting, a positive reaction from the people that have seen it so far, um, uh, not only in the station where they, they were really pleased with, with something that was kind of outside the box in the way that uh, they have presented other works, but uh, it, it, uh, the people that so far have come to me and, and tell me that how much they they love Carlos uh, and they, they love the, the seeing, seeing, seeing them going to, to a different country, uh, like Chile, for instance, and seeing the people there, it's been just uh, really... Uh, positive for me and, you know, has also enabled me to um, uh, have uh, an interest from the station to uh, go and teach them other uh, Latino stories for uh, in the future. Let's switch for a moment, Mabel, if you would, to Soledad is Gone Forever which started out as a short film and I understand now you're working on a feature length film and has the film has now been showcased in a number of festivals most recently at the Cannes Film Festival what a coup tell us a little bit about that yes um well Sun Hercon Forever has a, another complex um uh, journey I would say <laughs> um it started as a short film that uh, was shot and starting to be sh- in 2005 and I finished in 2006 last year and took it to um, festivals and uh, really become uh, this pretty much this calling card for my uh, uh, art and and, um, uh, professional career as well in the sense that um, it it has opened many doors and opportunities uh, for me as a filmmaker and, and producer. Um, well, just today I'm finishing uh, writing a new draft of the film that I'm actually uh, sending to the screenwriters lab at Sundance. Um, there's an interest uh, from then to uh, about the script, and um, w- oh, I went to the, um, 
the British conference just recently in August, uh, I sent uh, basically a pitch about uh, Soledad the Future Lens, and I was really uh, delighted and and, and bemused <laughs> that um, um, you know Soledad got into their selection of 80 attendees at the previous conference, which was really an eye-opening in the terms of like the industry and, and the business side and, uh, you know, meeting executives and meeting uh, uh, people that um, could be interested in, in, in your work. So, and there were people in Soledad. So, um, I can only say that um, the show has done so much for, for me as, as a filmmaker, but also um, it has, uh, you know, gotten momentum in, in the area and, and people, you know, I have people from other countries or Europe asking me to send them the film to the festivals and and so it's wonderful to see that uh, others are founding me instead of me trying to go and find them because, <laughs> uh, you know, as a filmmaker you have a limited resources and, and you you need to sort of like prioritize sometimes, but then it's great that uh, others find find Soledad and I'm able to, you know, follow up and, and send it to them. So, um, will the show definitely evolve into this feature length um, film project script that I have? And um, uh, the show went to the film market, uh, the Cannes film market in, um, in May. Uh, that, that was great. Uh, people were really uh, responded to that very well. And then now, um, after the Sundance Producers Conference, I was, you know, really putting my intention on really having it, uh, a, a, having a chance to to be at a Sundance Screenwriters Lab, which is a really good one. And the reason why I wanted to be uh, having be there with the, with the script is because. Of course, I want to. Um, uh, there are areas where they can always be improved in the street, but also, um, I believe that there is an opportunity to connect with a potential producer who could be a good fit with a piece, who will really believe uh, in its potential and have uh, a find a way to make it. That's one intention I have. Of course, there are other. Uh, routes that I could take with that, but I think that I need to explore all of them, including uh, Sundance, and Sundance is just so great. I, I, when I went to the producers' conference, I really felt like they really take care of the filmmakers and producers there. They really make us feel at home, and it's a very intimate, really uh, warm environment where, you know, uh, you have this tremendous opportunity that doesn't happen that often, uh, where you're really next to talking to a distributor from, you know, who may be the distributor of uh, El Cantante or, or talking to people who really have worked in all these Latino films. And I, I went there with, you know, wanted to know how they got, how they got into, at what point in, in, in the project they, they were, they become part of these um, uh, Latino films. And... Um, I, I found some good answers that could guide my, my own my own uh, experience. And while it may be or not may be the same, uh, now I know more. Now I feel, oh, okay, there are ways to get to, to that, you know? And there are, there are alternatives. So uh, I feel really uh, blessed by the, all these opportunities and having also uh, a, a few mentors here in the Bay Area who have really helped me with the trip and, and who really, um, you know, helped me push it to a level that, you know, when I was making the short, I was not uh, seeing, but really the short helped me, the short, and I would say Carlos Baron Poeta Pan, these two pieces helped me to understand the actual story behind Solidus Gone Forever, Future Lens, because those two pieces have to do with experience of, uh, you know, Soledad is the second generation of uh, Chilean exiles in the area, and Carlos Boron, in a way, you could see it as uh, that generation of Chileans that were directly affected by the Pinochet regime. Uh, it's, it's a completely, but, but there are elements there that I, I say, you know, 
if I'm working in this space, it's for, because there is something about it that I need to go through in order to uh, understand this other piece of work that I, I'm going to be doing and I'll be doing. And I, I realized that that was, that was what was needed. From a marketing perspective, Mabel, what have you learned since you began your adventure as a producer and a writer and a director uh, working on your own, what are the most powerful tools that you have available to you to reach out to these audiences at the local level but even beyond because now you're reaching people across the United States, in Chile, and in Europe that are expressing interest in your films and in your work. What marketing lessons have you learned? And in particular, could you share a little bit about your learnings about Latino audiences? Very good question. I think that, um, first of all, um, I was just a filmmaker, uh, like many filmmakers shy away from, shying away from anything else that is uh, not related specifically to film, so I thought, <laughs> um, you know, and, and that perhaps kept me at one level, uh, uh, limited my experience to, to one, um, uh, to reach a certain level, but not that far, you know, and then um, there were people that came to my life, uh, especially um, my partner in Haiku Films, uh, who uh, has the marketing experience from other industries, Cesar uh, Viana Tick, but also he um, had some experience with film, um, although uh, more limited. And, um, you know, he was really, uh, he really convinced me to uh, be more daring in uh, reaching out audiences and say, you know, you really need to start spreading the word, spreading the word and creating uh, and, and creating your audience from the start. I was kind of more, my mindset was, no, uh, a little more traditional then. I said, oh, no, I had to finish my film first, and then uh, I can talk about this. I don't feel comfortable talking about my film if I haven't finished it. But that was maybe a traditional approach, you know, or maybe a more limited approach. And so I let go of those uh, beliefs that, um, uh, you know, I, I also have to observe, okay, I'm getting, I'm stuck here and I have this result. Why can be done differently? So, so what would, that's nothing to lose. I will, let's try this. And, and I feel more comfortable as we started to go with this. Basically, we started to develop a, mar a outreach marketing uh, campaign, if you wish, uh, since uh, pre-production. How about a short film in that case, and um, having sending press releases and announcements about the progress of the film, a, a building a, a mailing list of people interested um, from all walks of life that will come for different reasons to be interested on, on the story, whether they were, they knew somebody who had been affected that way directly or whether they, um, they wanted to see a fresh voice, uh, all of that. So um, I think that in this space, actually, this is a must. Uh, no filmmaker, this day, I mean, I think a filmmaker who will say, oh, I don't deal with that because somebody else needs to deal with that. Well, yes, maybe if you have a bigger budget, you can hire someone to do this. However, I remember this distinctively, a lady who was running, uh, I think, a PR organization here, uh, maybe related to films as well. She said, oh, you could have people hire or, or working for you on their volunteer basis for your film uh, and promote your film. However, the, the number one uh, person with the most passion and vision will always be the filmmaker. If you don't do that, uh, then you're, you know, you're really um, neglecting that and, and the possibility of reaching your audience. 
So I, that, that ring also, I, that stayed with me for a while, and I said, yeah, I mean, it's sort of like distribution is similar thing. Distribution uh, these days as well, you really, as a filmmaker, you can have the tools as well to to, f to, to be part of it and not uh, deny that. So I would say that my biggest experience was learning from the PR marketing strategy that um, actually having a marketing strategy from the very start, from from its inception, um, it kind of and 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 get more in the um, spread the word shameless, <laughs> politely but shameless, and uh, also um, create campaigns that you could do now these days with all the web and. Uh, text messages and all this, I'm just talking out of my head right now because I've seen people like sending me text messages about, you know, the next event, you know, and I'd be like, oh, okay, if I, they didn't send it to me, I wouldn't go, maybe, you know, but because they remind me, I would go. And so um, uh, we have all these tools available to us, and I would say that we need to embrace it and really go for it, and I think that that will bring um, benefit to uh, to your production and to your life and career. I mean, I, you know, uh, one time I did a search to see where Soledad would go if she do a Google search, and I, I was really surprised to see that I went to all these places I never imagined. And I was, wow, so it really, it, you know, it, it really works, your work that you don't know. You don't know all the, how, how it's going to reach. You know that it will do that, so I would say, this is something to that really learn from uh, that, and in and and what happened, I think that I can really say that it was directly that way, but in a way, indirectly, and also because there is this energy moving all the time, you know, for what you do and the intention you have. I think that it reached places that I dream of having. Um, interested in me or my work and now I can see that they, they are interested and so I can say was it because of the marketing? Perhaps it was, you know, it, it was directly or indirectly it doesn't really matter but if I couldn't do it uh, if I hadn't done it I would probably, this probably opportunity maybe wouldn't be there What advice would you share with our listeners who are trying to better understand Latinos across the country and be more effective and more sensitive in reaching out to them. Because obviously your work is directed in large part to Latino audiences. What advice would you give to our listeners that they can implement, let's say, one or two suggestions? Advice to the listeners? Um, say that again, maybe louder, because I can. What What advice would you share with our listeners in terms of being more effective in reaching Latinos in the United States? From what you have learned in your experience, you've talked about being out there, even at the pre-production stage, and you've talked about being shameless. Considerate but shameless, I think, was the expression that you used. So what advice would you share with our listeners about strategies or tools that they might use to be more effective in reaching out to Latino audiences? Sure. Um, well, I think that, for instance, um, um, say if you, if um, someone in the audience was, uh, filmmaker or someone in the arts, and uh, or even in business, I think that that applies in a way because some is an art and a business in a way. Um, one thing I think that um, is to uh, create collaborations and partnerships with um, other organizations. For instance, um, I would have sponsors that are community and media sponsors. Um, Including, um, including uh, you, Elena, of course. Um, that um, for it, it maybe I got introduced to, or, or I, I really know that this this, this um, a community uh, organization is something that 
it, it, it's similar to the vision of, the, of your film or, or art work or business, and, and they have this commonality, you know, in terms of the mission or in terms of the vision or in terms of, a, in terms of, a, of the product. Uh, that's one place to start, and sometimes it doesn't go right away. Like um, there will be mi mi community uh, potential sponsors that would not come to me right away and say yes, yes, I want to do it. They will take their time, or maybe won't have the resources at that point. Will have the interest, but not the resources. But I can tell you that um, everything works in a uh, in a mysterious, interesting way. That today not happening as you want it but that tomorrow that will it will really pay off you know and maybe you make progress since then and a few months later they're really okay let's do it now so that has happened many times uh, so I would say media sponsors community sponsors are really great uh, in my case I also uh, always make a point of uh, whenever I, I am invited to some festivals I have attended most of them, and I have uh, also uh, uh, created or met people that um, uh, I would like to introduce them to what I'm doing, or or they will be already interested in that. Um, you know, it, it network networking I think is a powerful tool. Networking and cultivating those uh, relationships is important. You can accumulate many business cards, and I have done that before, but um, if you don't cultivate a relationship, it's not going to go as far. So um, I think it's really cultivating that um, because, um, you know, it's, it's there are your audience. There could be people who can help you in other projects or this project. Um, and, and because, I mean, most of um, I mean, I would say the great, great majority of people, they're just wonderful people to, um, to partner with. And, you know, when somebody really likes your work, they will be really the ones that spread the word about your piece, like uh, in a very genuine, really, you know, truthful way that that is, that, that's more, that's completely invaluable, uh, word of mouth. So that's one area uh, that uh, I, I have seen, um, uh, great results or some intentional or some not intentional that uh, just came up and I, I'm being surprised and learning from it as well and trying to be aware of how it happens so that uh, I could, you know, implement it again and with other people and, and organizations. And then uh, that's at that level and um, also um, being, in, uh, being part of um, like filmmakers, and I think that happens with artists too. Um, being being part of uh, panels, um, panels that are about, say, for instance, uh, this November, I'm collaborating um, second year with a Latino film festival in San Francisco. They're putting together for the first time a national conference of filmmakers, filmmakers national conference, and I, I will be moderating a panel on actually online distribution um, for uh, Latino filmmakers and we're inviting all these online distributors um, from different parts of the U.S. And, and some have their offices here as well. They will come and talk about how their Latinos can distribute the film and what we should expect and how that arena is expanding and, show and, and growing and evolving. So um, that's another way and sometimes it's not a direct way you know, sometimes nobody's asking, not everybody's asking me about, oh, you, my work specifically, but maybe they want to be, they're interested just in me as the artist or the filmmaker, and, uh, and you know, and you're more complex than your film, you know, ultimately, uh, you are, you're a human being, and, and there's other things that you can do and, and, and give to, to, to an audience or a community and, and, and grow with it. So, um, and also, um, so that's another area, you know, participate, being a participant, an active participant in, in, um, in opportunities um, that uh, where there is a learning and networking uh, potential. 
I think. And ultimately, really, uh, you know, working your business, I think it's important as much as I am promoting uh, this business too. Um, you know, also uh, looking for balance between uh, the work that I do for hire and also the work that I do uh, for the projects that I'm in particular personally interested in developing, like Soledad and this other script that I have um, in early stages of development. So it's always a balance. And then you have a life as well. So um, I used to be a filmmaker where I was oh, so, you know, into just trying to get my career. Now I really look at things like, oh, I, I, you have to be happy in all these areas. So for you to really flow, uh, uh, for me to be really uh, fulfilled, and when I'm fulfilled, I'm really inspired, uh, you know, and some one balance in, in my art and professional work and my personal work and family and community. And so I think those all are together, and uh, it just takes you to, uh, you know, to another dimension altogether. You talked a few minutes ago, Mabel, about online issues and uh, that is such a hot topic i just read recently that in the month of july alone nine billion videos were played online i said that nine billion videos that is an astonishing number what and i know i realize these are probably going to be in a very high percentage of those are going to be music videos but what impact, if any, do you think that new technologies and new media, online, mobile technologies, et cetera, are likely to have on filmmaking and particularly on your work? Yeah, online distribution is, as you said, it's a really hot topic. And um, I think... I have attended a number of online distribution panels now, and I'm, you know, I'm still confused about it, and yeah, with a lot of questions and still, and I think that's happening to a lot of us. Um, I'm just one uh, filmmaker here who is trying to make sense of it, and I think what's happening too, really, is that everyone involved in the online distribution arena really is trying to. Uh, make it work, and so I think we are at the early, early stages of this uh, evolution in uh, online um, distribution. Where what I what I see is that um, there are startup companies, uh, some more powerful or with more resources than others, and then main, uh, coming up to looking for content, and that's amazing to see that uh, many, you know, hundreds of thousands, if you see in the world, or more uh, companies uh, eagerly looking for content from filmmakers from all time, from the whole rainbow, you know, from emerging to more established, uh, like all amazing possibilities there to screen your work and and then you have the mainstream media um, like you know uh, say for instance Apple and iTunes and uh, also Google has come you know come to um, that uh, uh, presence as well and I think Yahoo maybe now uh, they're making uh, basically deals with um, a distribution companies that already have a library of films, and these are library of films of award-winning, very established, or really uh, very selective pieces that are being shown through iTunes, but not every filmmaker can go and say, oh, oh I'm interested in having you clean my piece. That doesn't work. They, they are the ones very exclusively looking for content, um, uh, and mostly they don't go to the filmmaker, they go to this uh, intermediary distribution companies where they get it from them or these uh, 
uh, uh, companies who have libraries of films already and certain films, so, or they partner with festivals, and that's where they do get, you know, the, the films that they are showcasing. So there's a more specific uh, way to um, have filmmakers show their work. And then there are the filmmakers, many filmmakers who are doing do-it-yourself self-distribution and where they are doing it themselves. So there are, I think, maybe those three distinctive ways. And um, they're all creating opportunities to screen the work. What happens on the other side of the spectrum, I think, um, and of course, you know, we all have different opinions, is um, what I see is that, um, for instance, um, a lot of startup companies saying, okay, well, we have an opportunity for you as a filmmaker, show us, uh, give us your work. Um, in, in that particular model, uh, the model of the startup companies, you know, looking for that, or not so startup, sometimes they're more, you know, they're a little bit young startup. Um, uh, the economical sustainability hasn't gotten balanced yet, maybe at this point we're in a moment where um, these companies are trying to keep profit for themselves and they have to in order to, you know, be a business. However, um, that econ uh, that um, filmmakers are not really getting, uh, they have to give up their money for free, I mean the films for free, or they uh, get a very small, minimal payment that, um, and they have to, many times they have to give all the rights or, you know, they're in a position where they're not able to negotiate well for their work and, you know, so that may be a model for more very emerging filmmakers looking for, mainly for exposure, I think. And, and I could be wrong, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter, you're not you're established filmmaker and you may just want an exposure anyway. So depending on the piece you're doing, you know, if it's a very difficult piece. Um, but that's what's happening, I think, there in general. And, um, you know, and case by case it could be different. Now the, the second one, uh, which is that more mainstream companies um, showcasing very specific works and more limited works, um, that is... Uh, an interesting one, and and that happens, I think, where when your work goes to certain, you know, maybe goes to Sundance, maybe go to uh, Toronto or Cannes, and and then um, you may have that kind of opportunity. Um, I'm kind of a, kind of leaning to that. I don't know what's going to happen yet. I have a, a few distributors and from both. First, uh, the first and the second model that uh, have been expressed interest and sort of like an exploring that to see what would be the best fit for this short film. And um, we, we'll see, you know, what... Uh, so it's, it's, I, I don't know yet what ultimately will be the house uh, distribution for Soledad. And then the last one, it's really this uh, very interesting and very entrepreneur um, a model which is do it yourself. Okay, if you don't think you're going to get a good deal, or you don't think that you're going to be selected to be in this, you know, then you can do it yourself. And so a lot of filmmakers have uh, jumped into the, uh, on that, on that, on that one. And some with really high successes, um, they're from filmmakers who are doing the first feature length film and self-distributing themselves. Very young filmmakers who are under 30 years old, and they're like really doing it and I, I can I can I can even um, mention uh, there's actually this filmmaker I think he's in Florida who you should look into his name is Alex Ferrari he made this short film horror film really well made um, a lot of great interesting effects um, kind of thriller I believe he's in, film in, in Florida he has this um, uh, I've been following his work because he has this he had this cell distribution approach with his short, and I, I saw that his website and he, everything he's done is amazing. I learned a lot from seeing it, uh, and I believe I talked to him once. Um, so now he's doing a feature-length version of his 
short, similar thing with me. And um, he, he's, he's kind of that Latino entrepreneurial, you know, style distribution, uh, which is short, and recently opened a post-production company or animation post-production company, and he's finishing an, an animation film. As I said, uh, his name is Alex Ferrari, and I may have his email, but I he he um, he's one in Florida that uh, you know he's gone to panels, and, and and he may have other insights about distribution as well. Um, so, self distribution has opened doors for filmmakers established and non-established. Recently attended this. Uh, uh, panel with a former professor of mine who has some just came up and she's still distributing her film with her partner through Amazon. They're doing it themselves. And and they feel like they have more control and distribution. They they can target their their audience in a more personal and approachable way and they are getting the money right away. They're not waiting for the money to come for them months after or, or, or weeks after or whatever that is. So, uh, and on, really online distribution is sort of like, uh, you know, it's, it's a new form. It's the same idea. You want your audience. And I think that um, as it, it's going to evolve, there will moment, there will moment where it will be sustainable, I think, for the filmmakers. They may not be right away. It's something that it's going to take a while to get there. And in the meantime, uh, we filmmakers have to figure out the best way to um, uh, have our work seen. Uh, it's a complex one because we want it to be seen. At the same time, we don't want to, you know, just necessarily give it up for free. Um, but um, find a way to... Um, inventive ways actually to to do it and you know other filmmakers they are finding inventing ways to do it they i know about this uh, filmmaker american making uh filmmaking a film about a peruvian andean woman out of new york and the name of the film is called soy andina i am andean i am an andean woman soy andina and he follows her to peru and uh, he lives in new york and basically goes back to peru to search her roots and and really, uh, she's a dancer, and so she she connects to the dan Peruvian dancers there. Uh, and so he's been also doing his own on self uh, promotion, self distribution, uh, with no funding whatsoever. Uh, I hear it's a really great film. I haven't seen it yet. I'm hoping that it's going to show in the Latino Film Festival in San Francisco. But in the meantime, he has this uh, website blog of diary of his adventures and journey and, and, and progress and um, he's showcasing other films that are Latin, Latino or Latin American oriented and he's finding ways for instance he's going to um, uh, institutions universities or educational institutions where they're interested about the cultural aspect of his film or the either the cultural or artistic aspect of the film because it involves a Peruvian woman and involves a Peruvian dancers. So he'll go there and he'll be paid to do these presentations in universities and that's a way for him to get money for the film, back for the film, and also to promote it to an audience that eventually could be his core, will be his core audience. So, and then, you know, you have vital marketing and uh, vital market marketing in, in the internet and beyond the internet um, where people are showing their their trailers. I'm showing my trailer in YouTube on my page and um, a, or more than trailers showing scenes from the films or take outs of the films or uh, other ways. Um, I think that the people who are going to be um, uh, have have uh, be highlighted uh, are the people who are going to be very inventive in the way they use PR marketing in a new era in this era where there is no boundaries about you know traditional and non-traditional. Actually, the traditional is coming to the non to the online non-traditional way because they're finding that there is a huge potential there. They're just trying to find a way to make money. Um, 
out of it, and uh, and it will happen. But um, so there's all this synergy, and, and and the ones with the best ideas at the right time will be the ones that will you know uh, surge and emerge and, and maybe create uh, models for the future generation to come. Thank you, Mabel, for joining us today from San Francisco, California. Yeah, thank you as well. It's, um, as I said, it's been terrific to be with you again and to share this um, part of my experience at this level, and I'm happy to report to you that um, Soledad Con Forever is going well, and um, hopefully we'll get back together again when, when the film is at the point where uh, it's either to be made or it's being made already. <laughs> Wonderful. And to our audience, thank you for listening to producer and director Mabel Valdivieso, who discussed making films for Latinos and her films, Carlos Barón and Soledad is Gone Forever, brought to you by Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com, providing you essential information on America's largest minority. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicMPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicMPR.com. That's editor at HispanicMPR.com. For more information on how to reach Hispanics with marketing and public relations tools, visit our resources section at www. HispanicMPR.com. That's www.HispanicMPR.com.